Stargate Discussion Podcast. I am Samantha, a super fan of Stargate, and I'm here with Rose, another super fan of Stargate. And Malika, <laughs> who started to be a super fan until we got to this throwaway episode. <laughs> Today. <laughs> Sorry, I'm foreshadowing. Spoiler alert. I wasn't impressed. Today we are discussing episode nine of season one, Thor's Hammer. So the episode starts with Daniel's theories. He has an idea that if there are bad aliens, then there must be good aliens as well that also took on the guise of gods. He feels like the type of person who postulates an idea and then tries to put all the evidence that he can find behind that, even though it might not necessarily fit. Like if you were a true scientist, like let's say Carter came up with this theory, Carter would have done experiments. She would have tried to disprove her theory. She would have actually talked to somebody who was an alien. And I'm talking about Tilk here. Like he looked surprised in the boardroom. He's like, what, what are you talking about, Daniel? If this was your idea, why wouldn't you talk to the person who actually has experience with the aliens? It does. It didn't make sense to me. Maybe like Norse scholars or something. North mythology. Maybe he did. Maybe he consulted with his colleagues in, you know, Oslo or something. Um, <laughs> it seemed like he sort of developed not only this, like, like, it's okay to throw out like theories in your boardroom. Like, hey, maybe there are these good aliens that are also doing other things. Who knows? But like the idea, like, oh, it is the Vikings that were aliens. <laughs> it seems really unsupported. Yeah, what was his, his evidence that they were the good gods just because they were known to help out humans in the past? I think he pulled up a picture that showed, that showed Thor's hammer and there was some kind of, there was beams coming off of it. Therefore, he assumed that it was of alien technology. Now, I understand this is like an, a 45 minute show. And so they can't, you know, like theoretically when scientists do this kind of work and researchers, it's like months and months. And then you like read stuff and write stuff and talk to people and all that. And they're not going to show that obviously, because that would make a pretty boring TV show. Like, so I'll give them that, but they can't really go through the whole rigorous academic process. And they're kind of asking us to, to take this leap with them. However, it, it seemed, even that seemed a little bit too much, like what they did here. <laughs> I do want to talk about, I don't know, I have an issue with the racial dynamics in this episode. Like, why are the good gods the white people gods and the bad guys the brown people gods always? Uh, I agree. <laughs> why Why is uh, Samaria, which is supposedly this world that the good aliens come from, seem to be entirely populated with blonde people and very Aryan and the Gauld, who are the bad aliens, are from an Egyptian which is from in Africa, right? So they're the dark continent. And it's like, so at this point, we haven't seen all that many ghouls and whatever. I, I wonder, I actually wonder if it was um, a conscious decision by the producers, because at some point they, you know, the ghoul and the Jaffa are all different races. They they sort of disconnect the, the racial element, probably because they don't, they realize, hey, we have a mostly white 
SG one. So we really want them killing black Jaffa like all the time. You know, that dynamic just doesn't, it doesn't look good. And it, I can see how they, somebody might've been like, hmm, maybe we shouldn't always make the Jaffa like Brown and black people. It seemed to me that Stargate made the conscious decision to only use gods that are really not part of anyone's active religion. Like you never see a whole lot of Hindu gods, for example, even though it's a very, very God rich culture full of like hundreds of different deities, you would, you know, and also an enormous population on earth. You would think there'd be Gould emulating those, but I think because Hinduism is is an active religion that so many people follow, I I think they probably didn't want to tread into that territory. So they rely on like sort of dead religions. Or, I mean, I, I hear where you're coming from, but I think probably the writers have more connection to Norse and uh, other Greek mythology type things. And the Hindu religion has amazing gods, amazing mm-hmm. stories. Do you think that maybe they're just lazy and they don't want to do the research? Yeah, have- I think both. I mean, Stargate's very white on both in front of and behind the screen, but I think especially behind the screen. And I think it would have been weird for a room full of pretty much white men to be writing about Hindu gods. I think you'd get what you got in Emancipation, which is a bunch of white people writing about Asian people. And I'm kind of glad that they didn't try to do that and do it really badly. It's funny you brought up emancipation. Guess who wrote this episode? Was it Catherine Powers? It is. Catherine Powers. I didn't notice that. I find when I, it's her episode, she doesn't have the characters' voices right. And they don't act the way they normally would act. And that is kind of bothersome. Yeah, I, I agree with that, especially with Carter. Yes. Okay, so Daniel has come up with three theories. Uh, that there are good gods as well as bad gods, that the Norse mythology provides the, the good gods, and that the Gaulds uh, were not responsible for the gate. They, they didn't build the gate system. Yes, Daniel does not ask Teal, hey, Teal, do you know anything about this? Instead, Teal has to volunteer the information that he does recognize the Thor hammer symbol from a planet called Sumeria. So now we have uh, gate coordinates and Hamid okays the mission. It just strikes me. I mean, Tilk has his information. He has all this information. Why doesn't somebody sit him down and be like, hey, why don't you tell me something? <laughs> right? Yeah. Debrief Tilk, right? They talk right. about debriefing all the time. Yeah. <laughs> sit him down. I mean, you have... You have the best source of information about everything that's beyond the gate, everything in the universe. You have this dude and you don't want to ask him any questions. It just seems it seems so strange. I mean, it doesn't seem like they're going to interrogate him with torture techniques, like just sit him down and be like, hey, dude, tell us what you know. Give him a cup of coffee and be like, (laughs) what other coordinates do you know? What other worlds do you know about? What other anything? Please just tell us anything instead of Daniel bumbling around looking for a hammer. Next scene, we're in the gate room and they get the, the Sagan Institute box. The dick box. Wait, why are we calling it a dick box? No one seems to notice this. Whenever I watch this episode, I always I always see the guy on the box and he's got a really long dick. It's just a weird choice for the Sagan Institute. You didn't notice the dick? You guys really need to get it. I'm actually going to pull up the scene right now. I'm pulling it up right now. This is really upsetting. I am generally pretty good at noticing giant dicks on screen. Yes, I know you are. <laughs> How could, how could I miss this? <laughs> okay, I saw it. <laughs> he does have a, 
a large appendage. <laughs> I, I see it. <laughs> I didn't realize that people were naked. I guess I never really looked that closely. Oh, wait, but there was a kid. There was a kid one too, right? Yeah, two kids. Does the kid, is it child pornography? It is definitely child pornography. The kids are naked. There's a boy kid and a girl kid, okay. anatomically speaking. Let me, let me look really quick. Yeah, but like, why would they not put clothes on those people? Because humans don't generally walk around naked in public. Yeah, I guess they wanted to make sure that the aliens knew what we looked like for reference, maybe. Okay, we can definitely call it a dick box. Totally, it, get it. It, it's a dick box, dick slash child pornography box. This little kid has a dick too. No, I think, but on the real one that they sent up to the moon, that one had a naked man on it, right? And like naked man and a naked woman. Why? Why did they choose to do that? Well, because clothes change. I mean, you know, we went from what like loincloths. Now we wear three piece suits. So. Every country has a different garb, but what what is universal about us that that transcends time? Our naked bodies. We find ourselves at Samaria. SG-1 comes through the gate. There's a large statue by the gate, and it suddenly starts humming, and it sprays blue light at them. Uh, it stops at Teal'c, and it dwells on his stomach, and suddenly Teal'c yells out in pain, and uh, Jack tries to push him away, but they both disappear, and the blue light goes away. So it takes a long time for that hammer to warm up. If a ghoul shows up, they have like a good 10, 10 to 15 seconds, right, before the, the, the blue spray comes to like do some damage before they would get transported away. And so it doesn't seem like that great of a defense system. Not only does it take a long time to warm up, but the blue light is scanning each person individually. It seems like if you came through, come through with a human, put them at the front, and then you just book it. Right. Away, right. I mean, unless it could scan you from anywhere on the planet. But even so, like you could you could have killed all those people or send like a human slave who's mm-hmm. loyal to the gold through spray bullets at everybody or spray, you know, gold weapons at everybody just for spite and leave. So it, it, yeah, I would think the Asgard could do better than that. Suddenly a Norse woman shows up. It's her name's Garowin. She's riding up on a horse. She says a bunch of Norse stuff like Midgard and she says Kendra might know. So they go and find Kendra. I thought Carter was like oddly impatient and not curious, which is not something she generally is, which is part of my whole thing. I'm like, I just don't think this writer has the character's voices, but like, okay, I guess she, she wants them back. There's an opportunity to find out more. I think Carter would be on board with going to talk to this woman. Like she's not one of, she's not generally a let's go get more people to shoot stuff person. Yeah. She seems very resistant the whole idea of Kendra helping out almost throughout the entire episode. Yeah. And distinctly lacking compassion, which is also not something that you see very much from Carter and also lack of curiosity. I mean, this is a technological device, a pretty advanced one. And she doesn't see show any curiosity about understanding how it works, examining it. And that's absolutely out of character. Or she's extremely worried about Jack. There's always that possibility. That there is, but usually that means she wants to examine the devices more to figure out how it works, where it took them. There is an episode I won't mention because it's like several seasons ahead, but there was another, there is a situation in which she has to find Jack and she delves into the technology very wholeheartedly. And I, you know, so feel like she would have done the same thing here. 
Right, but there's also there's another episode though coming up where she does she's <laughs> sorry, Malika. I I think in these early these early missions with with Jack, she is somewhat blinded by maybe her partiality towards him because she doesn't really think through the technology or she doesn't think to use her skills on this technology. And there's another episode coming up that sort of supports my my, my theory around this. So is it solitudes? Um, yes, it is. okay so jack and teal wake up in the cave junior's okay he's a little unhappy a little cranky but he's okay and then suddenly thor arrives he looks looks like like a viking yeah Yeah. he definitely looks like a viking it reminds me of uh tupac's hologram (laughs) from what when did when did tupac die oh let me look because i as the only black person, I should know this. <laughs> 1996. So just around this time. But this yeah. was pre-hologram. But the hologram, his hologram wasn't until just recently, 2012 at Coachella with Snoop and Dr. Dre. So the hologram reveals that this is a, a prison and the sentence is death. And he does refer to some kind of treaty with the system boards. He also reveals that the hammer is in fact in the hall, the hall of mohair. I wrote down mohair. I don't know what the actual word is, the actual Norse word. So that thing that we saw by the Stargate is not Lord's Hammer. It's actually buried deep in the, the cave or the labyrinth. So let me ask you this. Do you think the choice to use Asgard Thor is related to the fact that these characters already exist in sort of cultural understanding, like, you know, the Avengers? They were already in, Thor was already his own comic book by now, right? Was it? I, I was going to ask was about it? that. I mean, yeah. the movies hadn't come out, but... Yeah, the movies hadn't come out, but I think the comic books were already pretty well established by this point. Well, it felt like, after doing the research on this, it felt like the writers didn't have a real good handle on mythology, just j- mythology in general. So maybe they had a writer who just really loved comic books. Is I know they haven't made the Marvel movies yet, but they but Thor as a character is pretty well established and so was there it was their intention to sort of build off of that were they trading on the name recognition or is it just sort of coincidental i think it's just coincidental i don't know if it's the comic books that did this but norse mythology is very popular amongst uh white people i i went on the, yeah i agree yeah, and, and fans of, of this show. And maybe uh, the, the writers of the show just decided to bank on that, that general popularity. I think that this was something in the writer's room. There were people who were interested in this and had a history of probably researching this and read about it, either in their childhoods, teenagehoods, whatever. I, I don't think that it's based on the popularity necessarily of the comic books. I think it's a separate love for... Norse mythology for white people gods (laughs) and love for Vikings too I mean there is that that machismo aspect of, of the Vikings as well but I think appeals to a lot of men so we come back to the surface and Carter and Daniel are walking towards a camp and this is when we are introduced to Kendra and we see Kendra providing aid to this this child, and she seems to be using a Gaul device. So they pull their pull their gun on her. Gerwin has to explain that she's just healing the child. So before we start talking about the character again, uh, Kendra, I do want to point out that 
Kendra is played by Galen Borg, and she does have a history with Star Trek. And she was in Deep Space Nine and Voyager. She's also in Xena, Warrior and Princess, and in Twin Peaks. So what did you guys think of Kendra? I like Kendra. I thought I was kind of annoyed at SG-1 throughout this whole episode. I get that they have never encountered a Gould who is no longer a Gould, right? Like that's the, this is the first time they've come upon somebody who has been removed of their symbiote. So, okay. They they freaked out. They don't understand. They think once you're Gould, you're always a Gould. So maybe it makes sense that they would start pulling weapons, but you have Garwin here who said, she's our friend. She's never done anything to hurt us. I'm going to take you to her. She survived Thor's hammer. Like you think they'd give her the benefit of the doubt and not like shoot somebody that she's calling the friend who's done nothing but help them. It seemed a little bit not appropriate. Maybe Jack would have done that. I don't know that Sam would have done that. I didn't know she was in so much other stuff, but I can definitely see that she's beautiful and poised and really kind of embodied the character. I liked her a lot. Just like Rose said, the jumping to conclusion and uh, wanting to shoot her felt a little like a police brutality, (laughs) like not giving her the benefit of the doubt even though everybody else around her are like, no, she's fine. And they're like, kill her. (laughs) Yeah. Kill everything. That's not blonde. (laughs) And this episode, I could forgive the complete whiteness of the people because it's, they are descendants of Norse, you know, of Scandinavia. Right. It would be kind of weird if it was like really multiracial because that wouldn't really make sense with the whole Norse mythology. So fine. And you know, she comes from another place or whatever. I can forgive that. Daniel's mansplaining to her of how Jaffa work. I was like, going to throw something at my TV <laughs> or my iPad was usually it. But like, she's a fucking ghoul. Then you're telling her what Jaffa are, dude. She really? shut him down though. She says she doesn't want to hear anything <laughs> more about it. She's like, yes, I'm aware of what a Jaffa is. Thank you very much. <laughs> I commanded my own armies. And this is also the uh, where we see Carter just having a total disregard of, of any kind of help that, that Kendra could provide. And she's also a tad disrespectful to the belief system that Kendra has. Yeah. And again, like, you know, a scientist who we know from future episodes and even up until this point, like can't get her hands on devices fast enough to figure out how they work, doesn't express any curiosity about the healing device, which is not something they've seen before. And apparently someone who's not a ghoul anymore can still use it. Like, you know, if she was sort of in her regular character, she would have been asking questions about that, examining it. Daniel would have had to pull her away from that. But Daniel and Carter do learn that Kendra was in this labyrinth. She shows them the scar where the, the gaul went in. She reveals that she went through the labyrinth, encountered Thor's hammer, and Thor's hammer essentially killed her beast or her symbiote, and Kendra was allowed to walk free. So of course, Carter and Daniel are trying to get her to, to help them out, and she's very resistant. She doesn't believe that, that there could be any good Jaffa. This is when Thunder, <laughs> Thunder starts playing a role in this episode. <laughs> I also really like Kendra. I I like Galen Borg. But when she has to yell at the sky during the thunder scenes, that's when I started laughing a bit at the the episode. I mean, I understand what they were doing. I guess the thunder was supposed to be the the Valkyries, but it didn't didn't come off well. Was she actually communicating with Thor or some, some representation of the Asgard? The thunder does seem to play a role and comment and she thinks that it's telling her things. Is she just, is just, that's just sort of her creating a religion out of 
the horrible circumstances that she found herself in and you know, the, the Asgard saved her. So she creates this relationship with them, or is there really something going on there? It wasn't really clear to me what the point of that was. This is her religion. Would we question somebody who says, before we go into this cave, I'm going to pray. So this is, I feel like it's the same thing. She's just saying, should I uh, help these people? And I'm going to wait for a sign from my God, or I'm going to pray on it. Right. And, and the so thunder, the thunder the, just happens to come at those right moments. Well, we don't know. Maybe she is communing with Thor. <laughs> I mean, if, if there's people who say that they talk to God, I also <laughs> thought she was brilliant. And I love that red velvet dress. Yeah, so whatever she wants great. to do, I'm fine. <laughs> so she did mention the Valkyries ride clouds. What'd she say? The Valkyries ride somewhere in the sky. The wind. The wind. Thank you. So I was thinking maybe she was uh, talking to the Valkyries who are, I don't think they're gods. I think they serve the gods, the North gods. Yeah, I mean, presumably the Asgard could have put in place some kind of communication system where thunder arrives <laughs> or is triggered by the, the hammer and it guides the people to do certain things. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just wondering if it's a, like if it's a random thunder and she's weaving meaning into it or if it actually is meaningful and she's recognizing that. I don't think it's random thunder. I think it's something <laughs> alien made that we learned about. Okay. So at some point we go back to the cave. Jack and Silk are still walking around. Uh, they do figure out that there might be something in there with them. Something that eats gaul because they do find a little, little tiny gaul skeleton snake thing. Back to the surface <laughs> again. Uh, we have the uh, rune consultation. Kendra wants to talk to the gods. And we hear the thunder again, which signals that she should help them. And again, we have we have Daniel bringing up Share and uh, the hope that this could mean for Share that she could possibly get rid of her demon as well. Yeah, and actually feels appropriate in this episode because this is the first real thing they've found that could actually help her. So his excitement about that feels appropriate in this episode it doesn't in a lot of the previous ones <laughs> Sam disagrees no no I just um my mind cut to the ending where he was forced to destroy the very thing yes. that was not no I, I was gonna save that for the end but that was one of my many problems I'm like nobody else could have done that he had to be the one that does it <laughs> O'Neill's like go do it I'm like it's so cruel it's like know. yeah it's like what and I, Sam you stay here Daniel I want you to destroy personally destroy the one thing that could save your wife everyone all the all the rest of us are just gonna stand on this side are we at the point where she she's talking about why she was kidnapped is that yeah. that scene she's okay beautiful yeah. yeah she's beautiful but she also talks about how she wasn't taken completely over that she was still able to speak to her host so that's why daniel's like well maybe sheree still has the ability to come back because prior to this, we thought that once the host took you over, you were done, you were gone. You had no personality. You were no longer there. And Kendra's story says, no, in her case, she was able to even talk the host into going to this location where she knew that she would possibly be killed. She was able to still make an impact on her host. So this gives Daniel hope that Sheree is salvageable. She's not just a meat puppet full of host. <laughs> of gold. Yeah. <laughs> I did, before we move on, I did like the fact that she's like, 
that gold like beautiful people and I was the most beautiful and I was like and if another woman said that who wasn't as beautiful as her I'd be like call bs on that I'd be like no but her I don't know she's pretty beautiful I would agree Okay, so back in the cave, we figure out that Tilk's staff weapon does not work, but the projectile weapons do work. You mean guns? Yes, guns. <laughs> projectile weapons. I like that. Like BB guns and <laughs> slingshots. Bows and arrows. <laughs> they hear a sound, it cuts to the water, and we hear ominous music. I guess at this point, we've only seen like a claw. We haven't really seen yeah. the whole Unas. Do you think they wanted James Earl Jones to voice this and reached out to his people and they were like, we need James Earl Jones to do this? I mean, dude is the, obviously the best voice actor of all time. Like, James Earl Jones starred in Arnold Schwarzenegger's Conan the Barbarian. So they were thinking, the, I guess the writers were thinking it would be cool to have James Earl Jones then appear in some fashion in this episode since Conan is from Norse mythology. Interesting. Oh, interesting. He was also, I mean, obviously he's the voice of Darth Vader like 20 years prior to this. So we know that he's great at doing voice work of, of bad guys. But also, I mean, here's the, our second black person that we come in contact with and he's a monster. <laughs> he's, he's, he's the creature from the Black Lagoon and he also happens to be black. <laughs> we want to kill Unas him. The isn't black. The Unas is raceless, I guess. Is he? <laughs> just say yeah so let's talk about this unas what do you guys think of him if you're going for sort of a really scary swamp monster i think they hit the nail on the head i thought it was pretty good i was i was kind of impressed okay so jack starts shooting at him of course because that's what jack does the unas falls he see it seems like he's dead but then his eyes glow well before that unas talks to tilk and it's like let's eat the human <laughs> right yeah so Tilk is like no I think I I think I'm gonna skip this also Tilk really shouldn't have been that sure that the Unis was dead he seemed really sure and he should have just said I really don't know yeah and then Tilk started saying but there could be more and they have great regenerative powers and I'm thinking well maybe we should go back and sort of you know poke at him maybe we should he's dead just double check well no I mean seems important Whenever you have any monster, I'm going to lay down one of the horror rules for you guys. When you have a monster that can come back to life, you cut its head off with a shovel. That is, <laughs> that is how you kill That's the rule. That is the rule. That's how you kill Jason. That's how you kill Michael Myers. If they can get up after being shot, even if you kill the zombies on the walking dead, all the zombies always take the head off. Well, you always don't take the head off. off. You just. Because it still could live with its head off. You have to damage its brain. Right. And Jack only, or O'Neill only shoots him in the body because we see all of the blood and stuff. There's no blood on his head. So go for the brain or cut the head off. Like, go back. If <laughs> Tilk is like, I don't know, it's a myth, but they do might, they might have re regenerative powers. Go back, cut his head off, shoot him in the head. Like, we, we can, we can circumvent <laughs> problems down the road <laughs> so we find out that the unas are the first hosts and that the gaul can actually inhabit more than just humans they could inhabit unas's bodies as well yeah i can see why they went to humans it's kind of a beastly thing to be walking around in for thousands of years 
Well, Teal does reference that there are many, I don't know if he says many, but that there are other non-human species with like great power or whatever. Again, you would think he'd elaborate on who those are. Like once you get back to the SGC, maybe should, somebody should question, like, can you detail every species you've ever encountered that the Goulds can take as hosts? But they don't so want to. They don't <laughs> want to ask him any questions. <laughs> but imagine what kind of episode that would be. It would just be Christopher Judge in a room talking. But they could like, would reference like it and be like, oh, yes, I remember. Like Daniel at the beginning could have been like, I remember from Teal's debriefing that he talked about this place called Samaria. Well, I've connected the dots with North mythology and here we go. That would have made a little more sense. Rose, we needed you in that writing room. <laughs> I, in 1997, I was 16. Still, <laughs> I think I think you would have filled that. You just filled that plot hole <laughs> in one sentence. I'm just saying. I'm sure your 16-year-old self could have done the same. <laughs> Back to the cave. Tilk and Jack are still walking around. Uh, we cut back to Unas. He is alive. Surprise, surprise. He's digging out bullets. And Jack and Tilk hear Unas screaming. And they realize Unas is still alive. And then we cut back to the surface. And this is where they're walking on that really interesting looking aqueduct-like area. And it's actually the water channels in Britannia Beach in British Columbia. Really? Cool. This is where Carter's like... Let's go back. She doesn't know what she's talking about. We need to end this. And Daniel's like, no, we need to give Kendra the benefit of the doubt. We need to give her another chance. So first of all, I feel like all Sam does in this whole episode is like yell at everyone to move faster. Pretty much like she doesn't really do a whole lot, which again is very annoying because this is a, a perfect opportunity for her to show off her skills, but they don't do that with her. And it's also really the first time you see like Sam and Daniel having a whole, like tension, right? Because usually they're on the same scientisty side against Teal'c and Jack's warrior-ness. And here she's like, let's get the fuck moving. <laughs> this chick is lost and Daniel's all wanting to follow her. But Carter does have a point. Daniel does get a little carried away with his quest to find Sharae. And it does blind him sometimes. But is it, I mean, Kendra's your only hope of finding O'Neill and T- Tilk. Carter doesn't know where to go. And if they either go back to the gate and get somebody, get another team or uh, just leave Kendra to look for this cave. What's going to happen? I mean, Carter doesn't know where they are. This is their literally their only hope. And she's like, let's go back. I don't believe her. She's lost. Like Daniel's right. And I don't like saying that because I'm, I am team Carter. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Daniel d- does get carried away. Like I can see her being like, listen, Daniel, we can't just walk in circles. I don't think she would have confronted him the way that she did though. And yeah, and sometimes you're, when your only choice is follow this lady in circles or not have any hope of finding them, you just kind of have to go with it. I'm just saying, she's the only hope. Let her walk in circles. Just follow her. It's not going to hurt you. Calm down, Carter. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right, and then back to the cave. Jack and Tilk both now shoot at the Unas that's advancing towards them. Unas is shot. He runs away, but then he starts following them again. Let's see, we go back to the surface and Kendra has finally found the cave. It has that, that hammer symbol on the top. So they know that's where they should be. We go back to the cave and Jack and Tilk have found an opening, but it's actually Thor's hammer. So when Tilk goes through that, he experiences that red beam. So this is when they realize that Tilk will not be able to leave this place. And they're still stuck in the labyrinth with the Unas. Well, did you notice that O'Neill waits? He waited at Thor's hammer. He waited at the hammer opening. 
like Tilk is in pain and O'Neill's like, wait, let me assess the situation and wait a couple seconds while you're dying. And then I'm going to push you out of the way. I'm like, for, for dramatic effect. Uh, as Tilk is dying, but okay. <laughs> but yes, O'Neill s- saves Tilk multiple times. He takes his time doing it, but he does save him multiple times. Yeah, he actually refers to Tilk as part of his family. Well, he doesn't have a family. It is I his think family. He's, he's very, a very, very loyal person. He does. I mean, he's, he's a military man through and through. So he's like, we're family. That's my impression of Vin Diesel. I apologize. <laughs> we cut back to the cave entrance. Daniel and Carter are preparing to enter. They're getting their, their hard hats on. Kendra is hesitating, but there's that thunder again. So, of course, she gets the message from Thor, perhaps, that she has to continue to help them. And Kendra, she says this really odd poem or something and presses on the rock. And I don't really know where this poem comes from. She says she learned it from her people, but she she said she had never been back there. So, no, she said Thor's people carve the rune flow, comma, read the might, comma, see the rainbow, comma, test the white, W-I-G-H-T. What does that mean? I don't know. But then it just, it, then it just opens. Word salad. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like something that an AI would put together after you, you, you <laughs> with a bunch of poetry in it. In Game of Thrones, the zombies were called whites. It's a reanimated corpse, so a zombie that guards the treasures it was buried with. How does that have anything to do with this? Oh, well, I guess, well, Unis does kind of like a regenerative zombie type character. So yes. this is the thing about the Unis. Do you think the Unis was placed in there as a thing to make the labyrinth more unappealing for whatever gold find itself in there? Or did it find itself in there and not want to get out? I think he was placed in there to kill the gold. I mean, Thor is just a hologram, right? So you need to have some kind of enforcer. You need to have some kind of yeah, monster to, to punish them. Isn't their whole point is they want to save the human host. And so they, they because they do provide, quote, basic sustenance. That's what Thor says. It's like when you're sick of living this way, walk out and your host will live and you'll die. But if you Unas eat you, you both die. I guess they drive the Unas towards the hammer by shooting it and tackling it. And the Unas eventually gets caught up in the red beam and so does Teal'c. And again, Jack takes his time making sure that Unas is, is thoroughly dead before grabbing Teal'c and bringing him back inside. And I think this is where Carter, Daniel, and Kendra then finally show up. Uh, but this is when they all realize that someone's going to have to do something with this hammer in order to set Teal'c free. So Jack decides that Daniel has to destroy this thing. So what do you guys all think about that? That was so just so wrong. Like, here's the one thing that will save your wife. Go destroy it. I would have thought that Daniel would have fought more and said, no, I don't want to do this. We need to study it. We need to, we shouldn't destroy it. But he's like, eh, okay, I'll do it. I have so many issues with this ending. Okay, so like, First of all, yes, it seems extraordinarily cruel to ask Daniel to be to do this. I understand they probably wanted some kind of full circle meaning to it, but like you can't ask somebody else. There's three of them there. Have Carter do it. Like what the hell? Also, she's a better shot. So it makes more sense that she would do it. 
the other thing is now the Unis is dead. There is no urgency to get Teal'c out, right? The, the Unis is dead. There's nothing immediately going to kill him in the cave. They're there. They could like make sure he has food, make sure he has water. I don't see why they would have to destroy it immediately. And this is exactly the kind of thing that Carter would have been like, hey, wait, let's study it. You know, like, okay, maybe we will eventually have to destroy it to get Teal'c out, but maybe I can figure out how it works or maybe we can take it apart and then put it back together or something. Um, or photograph it, like do anything to preserve it in some way so that they could later reconstruct it or learn something from it. And the fact that nobody suggests that is very strange. It's like, it's not like if they don't get him out right then, he's going to die. And also you're leaving this planet defenseless. Like you don't care about that? I mean, now they have Teal's weapon on the other side too. We've already seen that this weapon can destroy walls, castle walls and stuff like that why don't you just blast a hole in a different part of like, yeah, yeah, there's so many other things that could happen, but it's just like here, Daniel, (laughs) destroy your only hope. The other thing is I would think Asgard technology can take one staff blast. Like there's no shield over it. Like this whole, the whole planetary defense system is dependent on this one technology and one staff blast destroys it. Come on now. That is ridiculous. But yeah, go back to the SGC, get some like tunnel boring materials. We have them. We, we know how to dig tunnels and on earth, bring it back, make a little side hole, like figure that shit out is the whole point. Like, let's not be so hasty and destroy the one hope we have, not just to save Daniel's way, but you're in a war with the ghoul. Like maybe something that kills them could be of use to you. I agree. They should not have destroyed the hammer. They should have found some way of removing it, studying it, taking pictures of it, something. But if they had to destroy it, I do sort of agree with Jack's decision to let Daniel do it. Because think about it. If Jack had done it, Daniel would have hated Jack. If Carter had done it, Daniel would have hated Carter. I think Jack reasoned that Daniel was the only one who had to do it in order to preserve this family, this team that they have. Don't you think he would just hate him for making him do it? That's not not how Daniel made the choice to do it. Yeah. Jack provided him with the opportunity of destroying this hammer and Daniel decided to take it. I think that's how Daniel saw it. His reaction at the end, once he does it, it was just kind of like, eh, that was unfortunate. It wasn't like, oh, (laughs) Sheree is gone forever. My chance to be with my love is is gone. There's no reaction. There's, it was just- He he doesn't seem very devastated at all. This is really the first time though you do see Teal bring up the like, oh, I kind of had a part in killing your wife or, you know, golding her. He basically saying, I deserve to stay here because I was part of what took her from you. So use it to help her and I'll just stay here, you know? And that's the first time we really see. And Daniel's like, no, 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 not going to do that. Did Daniel actually say that? No. Yeah. Neil was the one like family. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so back at the gate, Kendra mentions that now that they don't have a hammer, what are they going to do? Jack says, oh, don't worry, the Gaul don't know it's deactivated, and Carter suggests filling up the cave, so no problem there. But Daniel does give them the dick box, so that's good, and Kendra gives them a rock with a rune on it, and then there's thunder, so obviously Thor or whatever's in the sky agrees. It's either Thor or, as O'Neill says, it's going to (laughs) rain. Which felt a little callous to me. I don't know. And considering how upset they were or how concerned they were about leaving the Knox 
with in what they thought was undefended. They seem completely fine with leaving the Sumerians undefended because of something they themselves did. I don't know. They seem very, very nonchalant about the whole, like, we destroyed your one defense against the gold. Sorry. They didn't even say sorry. <laughs> so the rune stone that Kendra gave is actually the symbol of a Ansu's A-N-S-U-Z. It is the rune stone. It's the symbol of God. My research ended there. But I believe that this is tied to Thor. Thor means thunder. I think that that's one of the reasons why Kendra is always looking for signs. And those signs come in the form of thunder. Our word for Thursday comes from Thor, which I thought was really interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I think this is a good point to talk a little bit about Norse mythology, history, all that. Like sometimes it just feels like they take random cultures and make a planet about them. But these cultures occurred at different points in history. Like Vikings are relatively recent compared to like ancient Egyptians. So assuming that Thor, you know, the Asgard took these people off of earth and put them on Samaria to protect them, that would have been what a thousand years ago. So what was going on a thousand years ago and how come nobody is like commenting Daniel, whose field this is commenting on the fact that Gould and or Asgard were on earth much more recently than anyone had previously thought. Yeah. Good point. And it's not like the Vikings were in trouble during that time on earth. They were thriving. Yeah, they were thriving. So why would the Asgard need to take this pocket of people and relocate them to another world? Right. At a point where the Gould have already abandoned earth supposedly. Right. So that doesn't really make sense. And that's really not explained very well. And also let's talk about North mythology and how it has been co-opted by white supremacists. And how does that affect our reading of Stargate? which relies very heavily on North mythology, just a tiny spoiler. The Vikings are used throughout history to be like, these are the pure people. These are the, you know, the epitome of all that is strong about the white race. There's nothing wrong with Norse mythology. It's how it is, has been co-opted by white supremacists now. I used to volunteer at this place where we would send books to people who were in prison. And so they would send these letters and they say, these are the interests that I have. Can you please send me some books about these things? And one of the things that we were warned about, the only thing actually that we were warned about was if we got a letter from somebody, an inmate who wants information and especially books about Norse mythology, don't send them because they're white supremacists and they're seeking to use this mythology to enhance their standing in their prison gangs gangs you know i did a little bit of research on it and i mean it's it's hard to say i think it was always sort of woven throughout white supremacist ideology but white supremacist ideology was really quite fringe up until relatively recently part of that is you know Donald Trump, who really, really, really liked to cater to white supremacists and, you know, January 6th, where you had all these people dressed as fucking Vikings storming the Capitol. Um, so I think it became a much more forefront issue that wasn't necessarily on anyone's radar in 1997. You know, in the 90s, the Internet really was not as was not nearly what it is today. So I think it was a fairly fringe group of people without a whole lot of opportunities to speak to a broad audience. So I don't, I don't think there was any awareness that there were like sort of tying, feeding into some kind of white supremacist ideology of the supremacy of, of Norse gods and white people in general. 
but it is kind of hard to, to watch it now and not think that, not think about it. Is there anything about the Vikings or Norse mythology that justifies white supremacist embrace of it? That's how it, it has been taken. Actually, the Third Reich used old Norse mythology to talk about pure Nordic race features and racial purity. So it's not a new thing. Yeah, I'm, I was reading this article by this uh, professor at the University of Alberta, and she says that it's the Vikings weren't actually, a, they didn't really stand for this idea of racial purity. I think they just, because they're from Scandinavia, it, it, that idea had been imprinted on them that they're from, you know, Scandinavia is seen as the purest of pure white people. And so I think it, it's, it was co-opted by the Nazis, by modern right-wing movements, but I don't, I don't know that there's anything in the way the Vikings were themselves or their ideology if they had one that they espoused that was specific to like racial purity right Um, but but it is it has been really woven into these movements but and does this depiction of the asgard as sort of these supreme beings that were a more powerful than any of the aliens you've seen before and be more benevolent and good-hearted and chose the white people to save i mean they presumably could have picked up anybody on earth and been their gods and taking them to a new planet and chose these super white people does that feed into that white supremacist vision i'm, I'm sure nobody intended that i am 100 percent sure nobody on stargate intended that but it, it you know it's hard to watch that and, and not think about it i think when the writers wrote this episode they they didn't have that wasn't their plan but i think there was some implicit bias in the background there that probably was the reason why we got this episode I mean, that's exactly why there's such a push now to get different voices in a writer's room, because how, how you don't do better unless you have other voices. So this is the point where we share our ratings of the episode. So Rose, how would you rate this episode? I feel like four is my standard. So I'm going to, I don't know. This is somewhere between a three and the four. I, I actually liked it less this time than I previously liked it. I saw more plot holes than I ha- ever had before. So I'm going to go with three. I do like Kendra a lot. I thought she was perfectly cast and a really good actress, but there's just, I just didn't like the way Carter was portrayed. I, I the end didn't make sense to me um, and, and didn't really feel like in character. But that's also an important episode for sort of world building, as Sam said. So I'm going to say three and a half. How about three and a half? Can we give half Chevron now? I'm going to go three and a half. That that one Chevron is like blinking, but it's not quite locked. All right. What do you think, Malika? Um, I give one Chevron for Kendra, uh, one Chevron for James Earl Jones, and half a Chevron for family. So two and a half chevrons. And you'll never hear my Vin Diesel impression again. So I always thought this was a pretty mediocre episode, but I, even though I was aware that it, it did contribute to this fantasy world, gave us a little more information, but I just can't get over the optics of the good gods being the gods of the white people and the bad gods, the Gaul being the, the gods of the, of the people of color. I would give this one chevron. The reason why it's one Chevron is because I know that the Asgard play a role in this show, quite an important role. So what we see in this episode plays a part in a lot of future episodes. So I'm going to give it one Chevron. So how would we 
make this episode better? Like, what would this episode be like in today's world? I don't know that they would have used the Norse gods to make this point. Or if they did, it may have been just for this episode and they would have made somebody else be who the Asgard end up being. I don't know who though, you know, because I I do think that there was this tension between like using things that they were comfortable with. And I think white gods and European culture was something that they were comfortable with. And I think there was a lot of hesitation to sort of use gods and cultures that they didn't understand. So maybe that would have been different because I think you would have had a more diverse writer's room. You would have had people being like, "Ah, I don't think we should use Thor for this. Maybe let's use some other god from another culture that is more appropriate. I agree. I I say- if this idea was thrown around right now, somebody would say, let's use some Greek gods. Let's use a mythology that it has not been co-opted right now at this moment. Because I think that this is really bad time for <laughs> Norse mythology, right? But yeah, I, I feel your pain, Sam. I, I see where you're coming from. And Rose. Because we're family. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so next episode we are going to be watching the torment of tantalus episode 10 of season one so we will see you then bye now bye bye like and subscribe and rate and rate only if you like us <laughs> if not just subscribe i tell you i don't do impressions family